And so we decided, let's build an ark. There some miraculous things happened. We actually found a Mennonite architect who all his life had grown up in Amish community building timber frame structures, and all his life he had been planning on how to build a Noah's Ark. And then wow. he was an architect. And he was the one that actually designed the ark and so on. He, and he was the one that uh, lined up for us all the Amish uh, carpenters and Mennonite carpenters that came and built the timber frame structure. And when it was all completed, he said to me, he said, you know, that's my life's work. That's what God called me to do. That's my life's work. And then it wasn't long after that that the Lord took him home. Uh, so he finished his that's life's amazing. work. So God raised him up just for that time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zantaler podcast, where our goal is to help you thrive in your homeschool journey. Before we begin today's episode, I just want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen or watch, including YouTube, and leave us a five-star review if this podcast has encouraged you. Leaving a review helps other homeschool parents like you find our podcast. And as always, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook for more content. My guest today really needs no introduction, but here we go. Ken Ham is the founder and CEO of Answers in Genesis and its two popular attractions, the acclaimed Creation Museum and the internationally known Ark Encounter, which is amazing. It's a life-size 510-foot-long Noah's Ark, and it's truly breathtaking. Each year, the two attractions host over 1.5 million guests. A much-in-demand Christian speaker and interview guest, Ken is the author of more than 30 books. He and his wife, Mally, have five children and eight grandchildren. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss this important conversation. When my family started our homeschooling journey, there were so many decisions to make. But one of our best decisions was choosing to use BJU Press Homeschool. I've never seen my kids so excited to get textbooks before. I'm amazed by how interesting and interactive the lessons are. My kids actually look forward to them. We use the online video lessons for all our courses, but I know some families choose to teach from the textbooks. What I love is that I can trust BJU Press to uphold our values. The Bible and biblical principles are woven throughout each subject. I'll admit, I was a bit nervous when I started homeschooling, but I've found a wonderful online community of other BJU Press homeschool families and consultants. The Homeschool Hub also makes my job easier. I can set up our schedules and rearrange them with just a few clicks. On the dashboard, I can see each of my kids' progress, and the assignments page shows me quickly what's ready for me to check or grade. I'm glad my son's biology assignments are automatically graded. BJU Press Homeschool has given us the tools and confidence to homeschool our children. For more information, do what I did and visit the BJU Press Homeschool website or talk with your local HomeWorks consultant. Ken, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, thanks, Zana. It's great to be with you. I've been reading through your book, Will They Stand, and some of your family stories, and it's been um, so interesting and kind of nostalgic for me because my husband and I went to, it was a Southern Baptist school at the time, and it's not any more Furman University in the 70s, and we had been saved in our high school years. And Furman had like one of the top 10 chemistry programs in the country at that time. And I can remember sitting in one of, 
in, in a chemistry class. Thank goodness two of my best friends were two of their top students. And the first question was, uh, can anybody, does anybody here believe in creation? We want to know now. And so I was in co- good company. The three of us raised our hand. But as, as believers, we were really committed then to creation. And it was, we, we got hold of some Henry Morris books and we would study everything on the side. And so when we had children, when we got married after college and had children, teaching them creation was so important to us. We began when they were born. And I'll never forget, it was somewhere between 19, 88 and 1990, we started homeschooling in 84. Somebody called and said, Ken Ham is coming to Augusta, Georgia to speak to our homeschool group. And so we took our boys, I think they were around the ages of eight and 10. And it was such a defining time for them, Ken. And you taught them things that they've never forgotten. And it was, I, I cannot tell you, you know, I know that was a small group for you. You hadn't been in the States that long at that point, but it was so defining for our family. And um, one of our, our favorite family phrases came from that meeting that day, were you there? And um, yeah. so we, I mean, it pops up in half of our conversations. My son, John's an attorney. I think he's probably even asked that in the courtroom sometimes. Were you there? Yeah. And uh, so. Well, you know, I um, I meet people at the Ark of the Creation Museum every week when I'm speaking and out on the road too. But I have people come to me and they say, oh, we remember going to your programs when we were five or six years old. And we'll never forget what you said. Were you there? And then they say, <laughs> say we're taking our kids now uh, to these sorts of programs and we're bringing them up on this. Because, you know, once people get that foundation, once they understand that Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for everything and they understand that all your thinking comes from there, uh, it's, it's like a light bulb that goes on and, and people get it. Yes, and and it, it's so great just to have that one little tagline, and um, in all the evolutionary museums we went to throughout the years, my boys would always raise their hand and say, "Were you there?" Were you there? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's amazing. Because when I gave that talk, I would say to them, "You know, the evolutionists will come to you and say, well, no, we weren't, but you you weren't either.'" And then what's the answer to that? You say, no, I wasn't, but I know someone who was and I have his word. Are you interested? Because that's the point. God's always been there. Man has not always been there. So it's really teaching them how to think too, how to think about science. That, you know, observational science involves what you can do in the present, you know, using your five senses to build technology. But historical science, you're talking about the past. You're talking about beliefs about the past. And that's why I actually would use that phrase, were you there? Because, you know, although I wouldn't at that age level explain it, but I'm trying to get them to understand the difference between observational science and historical science, the difference between beliefs and what you can observe in the present. And so that's a good way of teaching kids that, and they, they understand that. God was there, we weren't there, evolutionists weren't there, but God's told us what happened, and we have his word. It, it makes a big impact on them. Amen. Well, there's another way that you have significantly impacted my life personally, of course, that you're totally unaware of. But when we started homeschooling in 1984, I was threatened with jail by the state superintendent of education. And um, it was not an idle threat. We spent eight years as a family, either in court or the legislature, working out 
quote, the homeschool problem. And, you know, it was it was the word of God that really kept me going and gave me strength and encouragement. But one verse in particular that the Lord called me back to again and again was the one from Hebrews eleven seven by faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. And that verse corralled me and informed me and kept me. And I'll never forget, um, We the first time I saw the ARC was at the first homeschool event that y'all sponsored. And um, I was speaking and Joe, Joe and I rounded the corner or went up the hill. And I saw that ARC after having focused on this verse all of my adult life. And it just brought me to tears. It is so amazing. Tell us what Tell us the journey of building the ark. When you first came up with the idea, people I'm sure thought you were crazy, just like they thought Noah was crazy. Who can build a new ark? Well, that's true. They they did think we were crazy. And actually, it goes back a long way. It goes goes back to uh, my teaching days in the 70s. 75, 1975, I became a teacher in the public schools. And that's when the kids said, sir, how can you be a Christian because the Bible's not true because of what's in our textbooks? Now, were you in the States then or were you in Australia? That was in Australia. Okay. And uh, that was a public school. And then the next question one of the students asked was, sir, there's no way Noah can fit all the animals on the ark. And then I remember, I remember saying to that student, well, how many animals did he need to fit on the ark? And he didn't know. And mm. I said, how big was the ark? And he didn't know. So an unknown number of animals can't fit in an unknown size ark, so it has to be a fairy tale, right? It can't be true. And I realized then that these students need answers and they need to be shown uh, the teaching that answers those questions, you know, because the number of animals that fit in the ark, I mean, that's down through the ages, atheists have asked that question a lot. And they said, how could Noah get all the animals on the ark? There's no way. And they would use the word species. So what we do we help people understand the Bible uses the word kind. And in most instances, kind equates to the family level of classification. So all dogs, 34 different species of dogs, are all interrelated. They can interbreed uh, in various ways. They're connected, put it that way. And so when they're connected genetically, they're all of one kind. So we would say that there's only one kind of dog. So you needed two dogs on the ark, and they came off the ark, and because of genetic diversity in their DNA, gave rise to all the different species of dogs. And so when I gave those answers, you know, students and also people in churches who would ask the same questions would say, oh, okay, so you didn't need near the number of animals. And then, you know, out of all that actually came a burden to build a creation museum. A ministry started in our house in 1977 in Australia, and I went full-time leaving school teaching in 1979. And then in 1980, I and a board member that helped to start the ministry, stood on a piece of property in Australia and prayed that God would let us build a creation museum. Because when I was taking students to museums in the 70s, I was thinking to myself, they're all atheistic, they're all evolutionary. Why can't we have a creation museum? Why can't we? And so I had that burden. And it's a long story, but came to the States to work with Dr. Henry Morris. You mentioned him earlier. And worked with him and Dr. Dwayne Gish for seven years. And then instead of going back to Australia, we moved out to Kentucky uh, to build the Creation Museum and the Ministry of Answers in Genesis. So the Creation Museum came first. And in the Creation Museum, as you walk through the whole Bible, 
there is a section where we show, you know, one percent of Noah's Ark being built. Now we built the other ninety nine percent as well. <laughs> but uh, we have and, and we answer those questions about biology and geology and so on. And then in two thousand and four, while we're still building the Creation Museum, we started building it in two thousand and two. It was open in two thousand and seven. But while we're still building it in two thousand and four, we sat down and said what what should we do next because you know i mean you'd be bored if you didn't have anything to do right <laughs> and of course <laughs> we want to be able to reach as many people as we can so we go, well, what about rebuilding noah's ark i remember in the early days of this ministry we moved out here in 94 so in the 90s in this ministry we would do uh, special family camps and we'd use helium balloons to try to show people the size of the ark now, when you say helium balloons, do you mean like humongous helium no, balloons? No, just ordinary, ordinary balloons. Oh, okay. We would put them on a piece of string just to show you okay. know, how high the arc was, that sort of thing. Gotcha, okay. Uh, and, and then as we're doing that, we're, in 2004, we, we said, well, let, let's think about building the arc. Now, we had a lot of things that we're going to do, and I think it was number 12 or something, because we thought, how would you build an ark? You know, you can't just go to an ordinary architect and say, can you build me an ark? It just doesn't work that way. <laughs> um, so in 2005, we actually met together and we said, why don't we make this number one priority? And then we did research in America, uh, a, a general population survey, to see if people would come if we built an ark and also what questions they wanted answered. And the response was overwhelming. And so we decided... Let's build an ark. And by the way, there's some miraculous things happened. We actually found a Mennonite architect who all his life had grown up in Amish community building timber frame structures, and all his life he had been planning on how to build a Noah's Ark. And then he was an architect. And he said, well, you know, and he was the one that actually designed the ark and so on. And he was the one that uh, lined up for us all the Amish uh, carpenters and Mennonite carpenters that came and built the timber frame structure. And when it was all completed... He said to me, he said, you know, that's my life's work. That's what God called me to do. That's my life's work. And then it wasn't long after that that the Lord took him home. Uh, so he finished his that's life's amazing. work. So God raised him up just for that time. Mm-hmm. So there's an awful lot more to the story than that, but that gives you just a bit of an idea. So when did the ark actually open? Well, the ark opened in 2016. Uh, so that was seven years ago because we're in 2023 right now. Uh, but 2016 it opened. So the museum was opened in 2007. Okay. So it was open a long time before the before the ark. So tell us this. I know in something I read by you, I mean, I just assumed a lot of Christians would come see the ark. I mean, millions. But I was reading something where you said or you wrote that, I mean, Muslims have been there, atheists have been there, that it's just been an opportunity to really um, witness to millions of people. Well, it's interesting that uh, some of the surveys we've done indicate up to 30% non-Christian come to the ark. Really? Um, wow. it's, it's fascinating. Each year now for the last three years, and we continue doing this, we have the biggest Christian music festival at the ark. It's 40 days of continuous Christian music with uh, leading artists and special concerts. And we do a Bible uh, teaching time in the middle of it and a gospel challenge. And this year... Uh, there were 2,047 who committed their lives to the Lord as wow. a result of that gospel challenge. So there's a lot of non-Christians who do come uh, to the Ark and to the Creation Museum. And it's interesting. I've been on that days there when I've seen 
Buddhists and Sikhs, uh, Orthodox Jews, Roman Catholic nuns and priests, uh, lots of Amish and and uh, Mennonite. We even have Baptists and Presbyterians <laughs> and uh, Methodists. And so my, my point is it's a whole range of people and not just that, not just the denominational backgrounds, but when you look at, if you can go there on any day in a busy time and you'll see people from different cultures. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, and, and by the way, Muslims, I, I remember one day I was down the ark and there was a whole group of Muslims from Baghdad that came as a group. And we often have Muslims who'll come and visit. Could you have imagined a church where you would have Buddhists, Sikhs, Muslims, Orthodox Jews, Mennonite, Amish, Baptist, Presbyterian, all, all together in a church? Well, the answer is no, uh, that, that doesn't happen. But it does at the ark. It's fascinating. We make sure that we proclaim the gospel. It's very overtly Christian. Uh, we're talking about biblical authority. Uh, and the gospel. And I, I think the uniqueness of the Ark and the Creation Museum is that the exhibits do the teaching. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. people don't feel threatened. You know, that is such an interesting point. We experienced that with our grandsons this past year when we took them. People uh, will read the exhibits and uh, you often we often see families in different cultural groups there and and you can tell there's non-Christians there because people are explaining to them the answers and they're mm-hmm. talking about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've had uh, people, I've talked to some of the non-Christians that have been through the ark and asked them what they thought of it. And they would say things like, well, it's, um, I've never thought about those things before. I've never heard a lot of that stuff. It's very interesting. I have to go away and, and think about it. And we've heard of people who've become Christians uh, as a result of going through the ark. People become Christians while they're there and at the Creation Museum. And, you know, we also hear a lot of families who come and they, they'll say, I'm going to go back and bring my non-Christian father mm. or I'm going to bring my non-Christian friends. And they do. So even Christians look on it as a sort of a, a place for witnessing to their non-Christian family and others. And so it's incredible because, you know, we, we got a lot of criticism even from within the church. Oh, what are you wasting all that money building an, an ark for, you know, you, you, you should be using that money for something else, you know. It's, what, are you, what are you wasting money on an attraction for? Well, number one, we're overtly Christian, and uh, the gospel is presented very clearly at both places. You can't miss that. You can't miss uh, hearing God's word. Uh, and the, the other thing is that, you know, when you look at the amount of money spent on church buildings, and I'm, I'm not saying that's wrong, but no, the amount I know. of money spent right. on church buildings, and they're reaching that group during the year, you think of uh, the, the ark, I mean, we get 1.2 million a year at the Ark, about 600,000 at the Creation Museum. So probably 1.5 diff, uh, million different people, and it's increasing. I mean, what an impact! And you know, how many churches see just in in 40 days in our 40 days uh, Christian music festival, we had 2,047 who committed their lives, sincere commitments to the Lord this year. How many churches would see that sort of result in a year, let alone in in 40 days. So, you know, they are incredible places to to reach people in a way that a lot of the church can't. And it's just a unique way. It's a different way of impacting people with the truth of God's word and the gospel. Well, you know, when you walk into the ark, if you had a non-Christian with you, it's just a real natural, non-threatening way to start a conversation. I mean, it's perfect. 
And what you said, oh, about, you know, what you said about the exhibits is so true for the homeschool event this year. We took our three grandkids who were like 15, 12 and 10. And it was fascinating how they each transfixed by different parts. Like my 15 year old grandson just couldn't get enough of the Ice Age exhibit. Now, of all the things that were fascinating for me, it wasn't that. But he spent over an hour reading and then looked into it when he got home. It, I mean, those things are just invaluable to us as parents and grandparents. Yeah, and a lot of what we do with all the different exhibits is show the feasibility of it all mm-hmm. and also to show the way in which it connects to the real world. You know, evolutionists don't know how to explain an ice age. They just don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they have multiple ice ages and they have no mechanism to make it work. Whereas the Bible's account of the flood and uh, the after effects of the flood actually is a great mechanism for generating an ice age. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, Zan, uh, not far from the uh, ice age exhibit. Well, it's actually, well, the ice age exhibit's on the third deck. There's an exhibit on the second deck uh, where we show how they could move, uh, remove waste, get water, how they could uh, cycle air, you know, ventilation. And uh, that sort of thing, you get light. It's it's amazing to me the number of young people that have said to me, that was our favorite exhibit. And the reason is because it there's they're the questions they have. How could they how could they get rid of all the animal poop, you know? Yeah, right. Right. Poop is a big deal, that's right, for the kids. (laughs) And and you know, we're just using we did a lot of research on ancient ships because man has already done this and uh, on cultures around the world where animals stay inside because they're so cold. And so a lot of people haven't heard of this. And so we're putting this research into those exhibits and people are there saying, wow, that could have happened. Yeah, he could have done that. And, you know, to remind them that Noah was probably much more intelligent than us. Uh, you know, we, we've degenerated, I'm sorry to say, and he did live for hundreds of years, so he probably accumulated a lot of knowledge. I think I've got two favorite exhibits. One is just the living quarters, and that was done so amazingly well, and you can, you know, push the buttons and have conversations, and so just, just I love that. And the other one are the two big doors. I just love the doors and you know just all the information about christ being the door and john owens had a quote puritan um, theologian and he would say get ye to the ark and that ark is christ and i think about that every time i'm at the ark and i see those big doors it's a picture of salvation Uh and you know we have those double doors that make up one big door and we have a cross on them and you know, Noah told uh, God told Noah to put one door in the side of the ark. And why is that? Because Jesus said, "I am the door." It's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of salvation. You know, one of the things that hit me too. You know, you go back to Genesis three, when man rebelled against God, and then God in Genesis three, uh, they brought in all these judgments. You know, cursed the land and cursed uh, uh, all sorts of things. But then God promises a saviour in Genesis 3.15. That's right. In judgment, God provides salvation. Because you think about at the time of the flood, it was a judgment, but God had no ability to knock a salvation. And even the Tower of Babel, it was a judgment, 
and God gave different languages because of man's uh, rebellion. But then, uh, as you read on from that in, in, in Genesis 12, you know, talking about Abraham, in you, all the people of the world will be blessed because that seed that was promised back in Genesis 3.15, God was protecting that seed. So in the judgment of the Tower of Babel, but he's still protecting that seed that would come through as, as a descendant of, of David and so on, back to Abraham, of course. Uh, so, you know, in judgment, God provides salvation. It's just interesting to think about that. He's a God who has to judge because he's a holy God and he's a righteous God, but he's also a loving, merciful, gracious and forgiving God. And he's a God of salvation. Thanks for being with us today for part one of this amazing two-part series where Ken Ham discussed the Ark Encounter, a biblical worldview, and all things creationism. Be sure to tune in for part two next week as we continue this vital discussion. You don't want to miss this time with Ken. You can find Ken at AnswersInGenesis.org, and you can find me at ZanTyler.com. May God continue to bless you and your family, and until next time, bye. Bye.